0: Hello, everybody. We're glad you're here. Um, So we're going to read a paragraph each at a time, unless it's a tiny paragraph, then read the next one. Um, And there's no demerits for getting it wrong. And uh, we'll do it alphabetically. So I guess we start with Christian. Is that right?
1: Sounds good to me.
0: Okay. Thank you. All right.
1: Sure. Okay. So, all right. We're at a teacher of Dharma. So... Dogjin Zenji returns to Bodhidharma's poem saying, "Um, where's the principle of one flower comes across is I originally came to this land to communicate the teaching and save deluded sentient beings. This land is the human world. It is Buddha's life and it is your life because your life is Buddha's life. So when is Bodhidharma's I? So what is? I'm sorry, so what is Bodhidharma's I?
2: Thank you. If you think about your life, immediately you have an idea of yourself as I, but your real self is a kind of energy. It is the original energy, which is constantly arising at the very incipient moment. At the very incipient moment, there is no I. There is nothing to call I because there is no perception of I. There is no who. There is nothing to call who because you realize there is no existence to attach attach as your own. At that time, you are simultaneously this very moment itself extending into every inch of the universe. So self becomes the whole universe, this is oneness. When you practice based on oneness, self is no longer just you, self is you and also others.
0: And before you read, Daniel, let's just pause a moment to let that sink in. And anyone who has anything to say or comment, please do. Okay, Daniel.
3: Well, I'd just like to say this, uh, this original energy. um, You know, we also call it Buddha nature, right? It's a similar thing, but um, it's kind of, um, it's something we all yearn for. I think it's like virility to me. And just to add to that, and I think
1: I also, makes me think of a couple ways we think about energy like chi and flow and feel, um, which are all I think very connected to that source energy.
0: Anyone else? Okay, I guess it's Emily. Is, are you next, Emily? Is that right?
4: Daniel.
5: Yeah, I think that's me. Daniel. Oh,
0: your pardon, Daniel, I skipped you. Okay.
5: <laughs> Oneness is our base, the basic place where we stand up as a descendant of Buddha, the foundation upon which we build up our life. Then, whatever happens, eternal life is in your heart and you share your life without creating any arrogance. This is the time of communicating the teaching to save deluded, sentient beings. You become a Zen teacher. You can teach how s- sublime human beings are, and s- simultaneously, people feel relief. That is to save all sentient beings sentient beings.
4: In the Sadharma Pundarika Sutra, Lotus Sutra, chapter 10, a teacher of the law translated by Buno Kato, Shakyamuni Buddha explained how good sons and daughters who want to preach on that sutra after his death should preach it. He said that before you teach, You have to enter the room of the Buddha, wear the robe of Buddha, and sit on the seat of Buddha. Buddha said, The abode of the Tathagata is a great compassionate heart within all living beings. The robe of the Tathagata is the gentle and forbearing heart, the throne of the Tathagata is the voidness of all laws. When you cultivate these three practices very naturally, you can just sit down and start to preach.
6: Mm. Buddha's abode is not a room in a structure. It is the room of human existence, the great energy of life. When you see the depths of human existence and touch the original life of all beings, very naturally, you open your heart to all beings. Buddha's robe is the symbol of patience. If you want to teach, you have to be right in the middle of human life. To wear the robe is to be in peace, to practice conciliation and tolerance, and to continue under all circumstances. The seat of Buddha is not some fancy platform. It is emptiness, the original nature of being. There is nothing particular you can cling to, you can think, or you can imagine. You just have to be there. Then you can teach.
3: Am I next? Yes. Okay. (laughs) At one of my talks, a man criticized my English. He said, hey teacher, With your English, do you believe you can communicate with Americans?" I said, no, I don't. I said, yes, I do. Oh, I said, no, I don't. I said, yes, I do. I took both answers, so I had to explain. I asked him, how much can you communicate with people in your own language? The more it is easy to use your mother language, the more you make mistakes. I'm not proud of my English. I'm not proud of my Japanese either. Whatever language you use, it's pretty difficult to communicate with people. I don't believe I can communicate, completely communicate with people using words, but I have to talk anyway. I have to be here. Just be together with people wholeheartedly and start talking. That's it. That's all I can do with a different language. So the man kept quiet.
4: Kim and
0: I were talking about this just today in our buddy meeting, how sometimes there are no words um, to touch what we're experiencing, but sometimes that's all we've got. And then again, Kim also has his art. um, So he does it that way too. So the next paragraph is the more we use language, the more we create a gap. But before we talk, we are already, I'm sorry, before we talk, already there is communication. In the story of Shakyamuni Buddha's life, wherever he went, people felt completely peaceful and very naturally they bowed to him even before he began to teach. That is entering the room, wearing the robe and sitting on the seat. It is to save all sentient beings. If you want to preach Buddhist teachings, I think you must be this kind of person. Then you can teach. Even if there are some aspects you cannot explain, still you can demonstra- demonstrate eternal life from your heart. Meditative
7: study. Dogen Senji
0: is next, Stephanie. Milen, are you gonna read tonight? Oh, I'm sorry.
8: Uh, yes, Nelda, no, sure. Oh, thank you. So sorry. No, well, it's all right, don't worry. I think my turn was after Kim, anyway. Um yeah,
7: that's I, I was after Nelda, that's why I'm confused.
0: Mm-hmm. So I think it's Kim, then N, Nell. Oh yes, you are after Kim, Forgi- forgive me, Milan. I am so yeah, sorry. I'll switch, I'll switch her names on my
8: list. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, meditative study. Uh, Dogen, Dogen, Dogen Sanji says, where the light and color are sought must be in meditative study. Light and color is a manifestation of Buddha in the human world. Meditation is seeking for the truth. Seeking for the truth is not a temporary desire to get something. It is not the researching researching a particular concept or idea. To seek the truth is to continually watch human life, searching, exploring forever, life after life. We research the light of a tree the light of a bird, the light of a human being, the light of suffering.
7: This is to study or to learn the self. Your time and opportunity to study and learn the self is your human life right here, right now. Human life is very precious for us. Your life is very precious, something more than you understand. Even if you do not like yourself, You are alive because your life is not only your life, your life is also others' lives. So please take best care of your human life. Day by day, deal with yourself as one being who is expressing the oneness of all being, in other words, as
1: Buddha. Is that back to me? I think so. Has anybody not read? Okay. So Zen practice is to manifest a single Buddha within your human body by doing something with wholeheartedness. When you bow wholeheartedly, bowing is the functioning of Buddha and bowing blooms with the whole world. Doing Zazen with wholeheartedness is practicing Shikansan. When you do Zazen like this, you are not distinguishing particular aspects of the human world. There is only the spirit of Zazen manifesting one Buddha within your body.
2: That same spirit is alive throughout the human world. So you can practice it in every aspect of life, walking on the street, talking with people, reading a book, five petals are, now, are opening right now. The skin and muscle of Buddha are manifesting right here. So let the flower of your life force bloom as your activity, whatever it is, and just do it as Buddha.
5: When you think of this practice with the frontal lobe of human knowledge, you don't believe it because human knowledge cannot see the panorama picture of your life working with all sentient beings if you cannot see it be quiet and patient practice zazen day by day and try to learn it study the time and light of your breathing the time of the light of your existence because your existence is exactly the same and one with the whole universe.
4: Through spiritual practice, you can go beyond human knowledge to directly touch the life of nature, the life of the sun, and the real life of human beings. You get into nature's life, nature comes into your life, and there is a communion. At that time, you discover your true self,
6: Cause and effect in Zen practice. We think that cause and effect are separate because in the realm of the time process, a flower blooms and a fruit comes later. But according to Buddhist philosophy, cause and effect exist not only in the realm of time, they also exist in the realm of space. In the realm of space, the provisional names cause and effect are loosened. And cause and effect are the same. How can we understand this? We have to see cause and effect not in terms of a dualistic view, but in terms of the universal realm.
3: Well, if you practice Zazen, start to ask yourself who makes me sit? it may be you. You want to know something deep, so you make an effort to sit, or it may be something more than you, something you don't know. That something more is a kind of energy, which is there before you put a name on it. When we put a name on the (coughs) energy, it is called Buddha, Buddha nature, or real self. We use different terms, but each one means the same original energy of the whole world, the boundless and compassionate energy of being, which is constantly coming up from deep in the ground like spring water.
8: Originally, energy is always here, but it's very difficult to see it or touch it. Still, when you sit in Zazen as Shikantaza, You can touch the something that makes your life life because the source of Sazen is nothing but the original energy. This energy is also the source of your life, so you and Sazen have this same cause. That's why, when the energy of the whole world appears in your Sazen practice, you can accept it. Energy appears and is called Sazen but Zazen is just a temporary name given to that activity. So what is this in practice? It is just energies coming up. That energy is called Buddha. Buddha means original energy of life. So let's sit down and practice the Zen as Buddha. To practice Zazen as Buddha,
0: all you have to do is accept the energy of the whole world in the realm of your zazen practice and abide firmly in zazen then fruit appears in the whole world as, as the effect that is enlightenment which is also called buddha in zen we sometimes say things like only buddha and buddha or buddha appears and buddha forms his own life we say so because we practice buddha as the cause of our zazen and Buddha appears as the effect
7: of Sazam. In Flowers in the Sky, Dogen says, it is the forming of the fruit is up to your forming of the fruit. This is called ripening of its own accord. Ripening of its own accord means cultivating the cause and experiencing the result. So if we want to make our life mature fruit, What do we have to cultivate?
1: Before doing something, human beings always want to know what to expect as a result. Then the actual result is sometimes a great encouragement for us and sometimes it's a disappointment. So we try to do more or we give up. We're always going up and down like this, but when you sit down on your cushion, There is no, there's no space to poke your head into thinking what merit you can gain from zazen. If you always do zazen in terms of getting a result, you will miss the most important point. First, you have to participate in zazen, then you can see the result.
2: Cultivating the cause means throw away your thinking and become calm and pure then you can accept the energy of the whole universe as cause and see see that energy in in the whole universe as effect. At that time, in the realm of Zazen as cause, effect is simultaneously there. That is living beyond suffering, which is the fruit of Zazen. This is the maturing of your total personality, which is ripening of its own accord. So from beginning to end, just sit down. Accept Zazen as a source of energy and just sit down day by day. All we have to do is live like this. Then your life becomes mature.
5: How do you develop and mature your life is very simple. Whatever kind of occupation or talent you have, if you want to develop properly, you have to practice it every day. Then practice will arise in everyday life and brighten your life. When I was young, I couldn't believe this. Even though my teacher always told me that Buddha's teaching is not something exciting, it's simple practice in everyday life. I didn't believe that my boring Temple life was a vivid passage to make my life mature. But now I know that this is the real, real, this is really true.
0: Hello, Ellen. Hi. Thank you for joining us. Would you like to read next? I think you're next alphabetically. Is that right, everyone? Mm
9: -hmm. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I I was at another book group and went long. Everyday life is pretty busy, but if you calm down, you can touch the core of your activity, whatever it is. So for a moment anyway, forget your thoughts, just stand up in that energy and open yourself. Very naturally, the fruit of Bodhi mind is formed. This cause and effect is called and in in common. N means cause, N is round or perfect, ka is result or effect. And man, man or man is fullness, perfection or completion, just like a full moon. So cause is perfect and effect is perfect. This is the practice of Buddhism.
4: Buddhist practice is calm stable, and not showy. It is to make the root of your life strong. Continually, under all circumstances, we stand up in oneness and deal with ourselves and others from that place. So take wholehearted care of the life of your work, the life of seeing a friend, the life of standing in a field, the life of feeling the morning. From beginning to end, whatever happens, This is our practice. This is the true way of life for a Buddhist.
6: This is the essence of Buddhist teaching and the point that Dogen Zenji emphasizes strongly in Flowers in the Sky. If you quietly read this chapter again and again, I think you can feel how compassionately Dogen tries to teach us. Any chapter of the Shobogenzo is really filled with Dogen's compassion, kindness, and charitable heart. You will appreciate Dogen's way because this is Shakyamuni Buddha's real heart, real teaching.
3: Untangling knots. Human life is kind of like a bunch of tangled thread. The pure energy of life arises as the insipid moment. But in the second moment, something happens. All of a sudden, that energy is twisted. (coughs) Lots of threads are tangled into knots and many problems come up, pain, suffering, emotions, and difficulties with human relations. We cannot escape this human situation. We have to handle these knots. How? It's not so simple.
4: Melinda, Melinda, are you still with us? Seems to have gone away.
0: Huh? I don't see her. All right, I'll I'll go next then, I guess. A knot is created by many conditions: your life, others' lives, nature, cause and effect. It's very complicated. You cannot understand your life only in terms of your own ideas, emotions, feelings, and the narrow telescope of human knowledge. If you handle your life only in terms of duality, irritation always follows and you create more problems. So be careful, be patient. Don't deal with the problem quickly with a short temper. Hold it gently and think carefully
7: what to do. Before you see a problem, your life is already working in the big scale of the self, the Dharma world where all sentient beings are living together in peace and harmony. Everything in our dualistic human world is nothing but a single Buddha. So we have to take care of all beings as Buddha. The grass in the field is Buddha. Your thoughts and emotions are Buddha and you are Buddha. So when you face a problem, First, accept your life as Buddha and take best care of your knotted life as Buddha. How?
1: Accepting and taking care of your knotted life as Buddha means you accept full responsibility for your life. No excuses. This is the point. We have to constantly surrender ourselves to. When you see a knot, before you start to analyze it, surrender yourself to the whole world and vow to use your life for the sake of others. Then open yourself and accept that knot with warm heartedness. Handling a knot like this, you take best care of a knot and work on it in the realm of the whole world. Finally, the knot comes into your life and you come into the knots Life without any gap. When knots are not separate from you, knots turn into. By
2: practicing the of by pra- by the practice of accepting a problem and cultivating it as a flower in the sky, in other words, as Buddha, very naturally your mind is soft and kind, your heart is patient and gentle and forbearing. Without this basic attitude towards human beings and the human world, you cannot deal with the ugly and miserable aspects of human life. So accept all kinds of knots with compassion. Deal with everyday life with compassion, then you can be patient and wait for a meaning.
5: Try to always be mindful of your great original Buddha nature. In other words, try to maintain the pure energy arising in the incipient moment and try not to forget it. Then you can work on a problem in the small scale of the human world. But if you recognize that you are stuck in the second moment, the third moment and the millionth moment, just go back to cultivating your pure energy. This is called mindfulness practice.
9: When you take care of knots with the spirit and heart of your existence, very naturally, one by one, each knot is loosened. Sometimes if you get to one thread, then two, three, or four threads, Follow, and all of a sudden they are untangled, where? Not in the dualistic world, but in the unified same and one ground of the whole universe. This unknotted life is called freedom, liberation. So as
4: simply as you can, accept knots softly, gently, with kindness and generosity, and then take care of them patiently. Patience is working on the knots one by one with a calm mind, stability, relaxation, and assurance in your existence. Through handling all aspects of your human life with kindness and forbearance, you can touch the core of your life where you experience deep communion with others. By touching the core of the life of all beings, you can communicate Buddha's teaching to others and save all sentient beings. This is the Bodhisattva's attitude toward human life.
6: Chapter A? That's, or did we?
4: That's a huge jump to make, to go from just be to save all sentient beings.
6: <laughs> Well, it appears to be big, doesn't it? Because yeah. <laughs> we believe there are all these other people out there <laughs> that we need to be
0: saved. But at, at the same time, it seems like a huge jump. But if we just be, we are saving all other sentient beings, aren't we?
4: Yeah, I think that's what they're saying. Yeah.
6: yeah. yeah. I, I really like the talk of knots, though. And uh, when I hear of knots, I think of all the ways I tie myself in knots with my story of what's happening <laughs> and all the feelings and emotions and beliefs that surround it. And uh, so I like, I like to visualize it as really a knot. And it is interesting that if I unravel maybe one, you know, a little piece of a knot, some of the others, you know, um, fall through. It's it's almost as if once you hit one core belief, then all the ones that are attached to it kind of fall away, and then you're back in your Buddha nature in the moment, you know?
2: It's
3: funny how how uh, we create the knot. Like if you have a nice spool of rope or anything, there's no knots, and then you start messing with it, and then there's the yeah. knots
6: yeah we make up the story the story is the knot there's the moment and then there's the story that we make up (laughs) that's the knot oh it's pretty cool Um, or
3: at least we think it. maybe it's not really even really a knot but we think it is too right sometimes
6: yeah we we make it up
0: (laughs) so i'm going to venture to say that there were knots created by others in us (laughs) before we started adding our own knots.
3: Um, well, that's our ancient twisted karma, isn't it?
6: There you go. Yes, it is. Right. But again, I love the way he's pointing to the fact that we have 100% responsibility, you know? it's. Uh, and I, I've seen that in my own practice, that uh, it really just, um, everything flows from what is happening with me right now in this moment. You know, uh, so uh, I don't. I don't want to add knots, right, Nelda? <laughs> right. By the way, I
0: think this was a beautiful <sighs> chapter. It was so beautifully written. That's how it it resonated with me. So, do we want to go ahead and start the next
6: chapter? It's a quarter till. We have time. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so, Chapter Eight: The Spiritual Mirror the original nature of existence is always present in your life, but when your pure nature is tainted with some intellectual understanding, you don't really know how to live in peace. You don't know because between the pure nature of your existence and the objects running through your consciousness, there is a kind of veil or curtain.
3: So there's something that just kind of appeared to me, and that is that he talks about objects and and knots. And these are like things, stagnant things. And then there's energy. And energy is kind of the, I don't know, the cure-all or the, you know, what gives us stuff life. Just having those two different, very different things, you know, or flow or, these are not things you can hold in your hand but things that make things move or happen. I don't, does that make sense? You have objects and then you have energy. And it, seems,
0: it seems dichotomous, but all he has is language. I mean, he's, I, I just, he's, I think he's just trying to give us a visual while at the same time saying, even with these visuals for you to grasp the concept, it's really just all energy and all one. Does that, is that how others see that? or do I,
6: I believe that objects, everything that we think we see um, actually is the same energy that we ourselves are. Um, I, I don't think it's separate.
3: The objects are running.
6: The objects are whatever it is that we label or give a name to. I think, or create a concept about, and then yeah. they become an then they become an object.
1: Yeah, I think it has to. I think it has to do with that idea that nothing has inherent existence unto itself, right? That whole idea, and so the the whole interdependence idea is that. Yeah, that we obviously work, we're, we're creating the knot yeah, analogy I, I love too because it's just it's like we we make the knot um, somewhere just spent a lot of time making making knots in Boy Scouts um, with my son, um, lots of different kinds of knots that we create. And it's up to us to, you know, un, unravel them and, and it's all energy. Yeah.
3: Okay, I think I'm reading. It's pretty hard to recognize that this curtain exists, but emotionally you sense it is there. You don't exactly know what it is, but something always bothers you. No matter what you do, <coughs> there is always a feeling of uneasiness or restfulness, restlessness. You aren't satisfied. So you need a way to lift that veil and see your own pure nature. How?
0: In Madhyanta Vivhaga, is that right? Madhyanta Vivhaga, an early yoga chara Buddhist scripture written in India by Maitreya with commentary by Vasubandhu, it says, Buddha takes away the curtain between objects and mirror. When you attain enlightenment, the veil of your human consciousness drops off and you look in that mirror. What do you see? Your own pure nature is reflected there, but you see nothing but movement, constant change. That movement is the pure nature of your existence. Pure energy is arising from moment to moment in the form of your own human life.
7: Dogen's ancient mirror. The spiritual mirror is very important for us. Why? You can experience your pure nature through living with compassion and kind attention, but you cannot see your own purity objectively is the same with your eyes. Your eye cannot see itself. It can see itself only when it is reflected in a mirror. That is why to deeply understand our human life, we need the spiritual mirror that reflects the essential nature of life.
1: What is a spiritual mirror? It's pretty hard to explain in words, the life of all sentient beings. That dynamic existence is unexplainable. So sometimes we just say the whole universe, but plainly speaking, it is the truth. So asking what is the spiritual mirror means you are asking what is the truth?
4: Cody,
2: I think you're muted. How does the mirror reflect the essence of human life? In Shibojinjo Kokyo, the ancient mirror, Iha Dogen makes three points. The mirror is the place where all sentient beings coexist in peace and harmony. The mirror is transparent and the mirror liberates all beings so, life can create itself anew. This is a very important teaching. When we understand the mirror, we can try our best to approach that mirror and work with that energy.
5: The coexistent place. The ancient mirror is the place where all sentient beings expere- experience the same things and become the same as Buddhas and ancestors. Dogen Zenzi says The ancient mirror is what Buddhas and patriarchs have received, preserved, and transmitted personally.
9: Enlightenment is personal, but it's really for everyone. When you realize how sublime human life is, you cannot hold it for yourself. Very naturally, you want to say something about it to your sons, to your daughters, to your friends. Every single Buddha and ancestor has personally received the ancient mirror and tried to hand it down to the next generation. So it's personal but from generation to generation, they all received, preserved, and transmitted the same mirror. So it's public.
4: Then Dogen says, they are all the same in one with view, face, shape, mold, practice, and enlightenment. When your life is reflected in the ancient mirror, Your view is exactly the same view that Buddhas and ancestors experienced. Your face is also the same face. Everyone's face is different, of course, but everyone whose life is reflected in that huge mirror has the same look. If you seek for the spiritual life, your mind becomes soft, kind, and compassionate and your look becomes the same as Buddhas and ancestors. Yes, it is true. Other people can see the same feeling
6: there. Your shape also becomes the same. Even though you don't face me when you do Zazen, I can see that shape from your back. And also your life is molded in the same pattern of morality and ethics. From that one pattern, myriad different types of life come up because that one pattern is freely changeable in every circumstance. But even though your circumstances are constantly changing, your heart and your lifestyle are in the same pattern. That is faith and stability. To reach that same view, base, shape, and mold, we practice. Then through through that practice, you can walk hand-in-hand hand with people, whoever they are.
3: If you see your life reflected <coughs> in the spiritual mirror, very naturally you are walking the same path that Buddhas and ancestors walked. Anyone who walks on that path can have the same result. Straightforwardness, honesty, uh, magna. Nimity and wisdom for example pay attention to christian ministers just look at them you can see it there is the same look the same compassionate mind the same way of walking they are walking one path which is called practice
0: the spiritual mirror implies a vast expanse of space where all sentient beings coexist simultaneously in peace in silence. It is the place where all beings walk together in harmony beyond race, social position, personality, thoughts, or cultural forms. Japanese monkeys walk with elephants
7: in India. Birds and butterflies talk together. Everything is reflected in that mirror. So when you stand up there and see your life reflected, you see that your life is working with all sentient beings. Dogen Zenji says, when the barbarian comes, he is reflected in that mirror, 8,000 or 10,000. Also, when the Chinese comes, he is reflected in it, containing one moment or 10,000 years. Also, when the past, present, or the Buddhas and ancestors come, they are reflected. When you see your life like this, you can live with all sentient beings in peace and harmony. No complaints.
1: The Christian monk, St. Francis of Assisi, was known as a holy person who could talk with birds. I think the birds and St. Francis stood up together in this vast coexistent space and talked together in peace and harmony. When a person and a bird are reflected in that ancient mirror it is not the karmic form of their lives that walks and talks together it is the essence of their lives that's why saint francis could talk with
2: the birds saint francis was a person who really had a missionary spirit if you want to be a priest you must have this kind of spirit you must be present with people of different races, cultures, and personalities and communicate in that same way. Because originally, all human beings are the same.
5: Clear, transparent functioning. When I
3: was... Hey, first let's, in- let's see how long this section is. Yes,
0: thank you, Kim.
9: But it,
3: how, uh, how long is it? I, I don't have the book.
9: I don't know. It's about two and a half pages.
3: Yeah.
6: Okay. It's a little long.
0: We can stop here if you'd like, although it seems in a sense like a continuation of the previous sort okay. of a, like the bow on the gift. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, Let's go through this one section.
5: Clear, transparent functioning. When I was 14, my mother died. It made me very sad. Every night I cried and cried. The more I I longed to be with my mother, the more I realized that my mother was far away from me. Then All of a sudden, very smoothly, my mother came into my heart. It was like spring water coming up from deep in the ground. I felt felt deep appreciation of my mother, and I stopped crying. I didn't know why, but I felt my mother alive in, in my heart. What happened? When my mother came into my heart, she was reflected in the same mirror where I see my own reflection and her face, and my face became one.
4: The ancient mirror, Dogen mentions that mirror in this way, saying not dim either inside or outside means that inside is not against outside and vice versa. It is not front or back. Both of them are visible
9: as one whole. Sorry, Ellen. That's okay. (laughs) Go ahead. Okay. The point is a little difficult to understand because an ordinary mirror has a front that is clear and a back that is dim, but the spiritual mirror has no front or back. So it is completely clear. Also, it doesn't have an inside as opposed to an outside. In other words, it has no limitation. Inside is simultaneously outside and outside is simultaneously inside. The ancient mirror is completely transparent, but it is still a mirror. When your life is reflected in that mirror, you also become transparent.
6: It is very difficult to imagine a mirror like that. So, temporarily, let's say it has a front and a back. If so, then what is the relation between front and back? Dogen says it is like mind and eyes. He says, the words mind and eye, resembling each other, mean that a man sees a man, and that mind is his eye, both inside and outside the mirror both of them being visible as one whole. The present self and the world are both the inside and outside of the mirror. There is no difference such as self and other, both of them being visible as one whole. Others are self, self is others.
3: You can understand what you see with your eyes and because mind and eyes, work together as one whole. (coughs) Temporarily, you can distinguish between your mind and eyes, and actually they're not separate, they are interconnected. What about the picture you see with your eyes? Can you say whether it is inside (coughs) your mind and eyes or outside? What's more, all sentient beings have minds and eyes. So whatever picture you see, It also has mind and eyes.
0: There's a Zen story about this. A donkey poked his head into a well and saw his face reflected in the water. At the same time, the well looked at the donkey and saw itself reflected in the donkey's eyes. So in the well, there is a donkey and in the donkey, there is a well. So who is seeing whom? Nothing to say. There is just a donkey looking at a well.
9: Looking at a donkey.
0: Oh, I, I think I think it flipped before I finished. There is just a donkey looking at a donkey, a well. Looking at a well. In other words, you see yourself.
3: You are you. Well, you we know. have Milat now.
8: Yes, yeah, sorry, I ran out of internet. Uh, you are you, Katagiri is Katagiri. You and I have different faces, different forms and different lifestyles. When we stand up together in front of the ancient mirror and look at the mirror very calmly, we can see that we are different. But if you continue to look at my face in the mirror and I look at your face, Something happens. Thank you, Kim.
7: When we look in that mirror, our minds and eyes see the same essential nature of existence and our individual forms disappear. You become transparent and my look penetrates into your heart. I become transparent and your look penetrates into my heart. In other words, my reflection and your reflection become transparent Simultaneously. We are like two Caspers. Do you know Casper the Ghost <laughs> on television? Two Caspers see each other, walk together in harmony, and disappear. Our different faces can come together and become one because originally in the vast coexistent space we are not separate.
1: When your life is working with the whole universe, there is no subject and object. At that time, mind and I, inside and outside, self and other are not separate things. If there is no form of inside as opposed to outside and no sense of self and other, you experience your life as something completely transparent and clear. That is the functioning of the spiritual mirror. I remember uh, Cody just left, so. Oh, did Cody leave? Yeah, Cody, okay. Cody had to go, yeah. Yeah.
5: Okay, so that's me. Um, in every person's reflection, we can see a manifestation of human life, the human mind and the human heart. That is why we have to make every possible effort to see and understand cultures and personalities different from our own. So let's live together in peace. You stand up in that mirror with a calm mind. Other people stand up there. And finally, those different faces become the one face of the essential nature of human existence.
0: Mm. That's a good place to stop. Thank you, everyone. So now we'll write for 10 minutes. Is that right, Kim? Do you want to ring a bell? Will you ring a bell, please? Thank you.
4: Would anyone like
0: to share or even talk further about some part of this reading that really resonated with them in a special way differently than maybe, you know how we hear things and uh, it doesn't resonate the first time and then all of a sudden we hear it another way and it does. So just come forward, anyone who'd like to do that.
4: I uh, spent about a year or two in a group called Codependence Anonymous, which is kind of a a group about how to establish boundaries and establish a sense of self. And uh, it's interesting, this seems like in some ways, it seems like kind of um, the opposite of that in which uh, you're, I don't know, it seems to suggest that I cultivate a sense of oneness that's not separate from everything. And I, I can certainly do that um, kind of like taking a dip in a swimming pool, and that is a very pleasant experience. But I'm not really sure how to balance that in day-to-day existence. So I'm curious if anyone has thoughts about that.
3: Anyone? Well, it's really an interesting um, dilemma of creating boundaries, but then being one with everything.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: I, yeah, I don't have, uh, I love that uh contrast.
6: Yeah, I I hear what you're saying, Emily. I you know had a very codependent relationship. Um I've had more than one. <laughs> But I think what I'm hearing here, uh, what he's trying to relay is that everything resides within us and my codependent relationships had to do with um, feeling that I, I needed them to be a certain way so that I could be okay, but actually the okayness already resides within me. You see, Mm -hmm. Um, like I love where he talks about in this book, I highlighted it when he was 14, his mother died and he mourned her loss until she came into his heart. And it reminds me of um, a friend of mine recently who lost his dog. And he was really mourning. This was his only companion. He's a single man, no family living with him. and he said he cried, he felt like he lost his companion, this love, until he was sitting in meditation, and the next day he realized, oh, this love that I'm feeling is still here. In fact, that's why I'm mourning, because it's an expression of love right here. It's right still with me. So the love isn't lost at all, you know, and... Um, Uh, years ago, Flint did um, uh, inquiry with um, somebody at Appamata. This was a long time ago. And he came up and sat with Flint and said that he was in love. He'd met a woman and he was in love. This is somebody who had been a young guy single for a while. And he seemed to have a, a, a fear in a way, he didn't know what to do with this. He'd never felt like this before. And Flint, turned it back to him and he says but this love that you're feeling is it coming from this woman or is it coming from within you flowing out toward her and basically he had to admit he was the one feeling this love so the love didn't reside with her you know so when I hear codependence it's sort of like um, that's a faulty way of thinking of unity in a way Mm -hmm. you know it's pointing to a lack as opposed to
4: this wholeness that he's pointing to. Thank you. And Emily,
0: yeah. I want to share something. I had a question of Flint during one inquiry, because in my in my life, and particularly in my professional practice, I met people I would label as evil. I would just, dangerous. Um, I practiced family law. There was a lot of incest in some of those cases. Mm-hmm. Um, physical and sexual abuse in some of those those domestic cases and so i like you was trying to balance this we are all one we are all part of this energetic field and yet an awareness that there are some people who are unsafe and and flint very clearly said both yes yes both <laughs> We are all this energetic field. We all are Buddha nature, even those unskillful people you label as evil. But that's part of our practice too, to understand that we are all Buddha nature down to my little doggies. Um, But a rabid dog is dangerous and we need to have the wisdom to protect ourselves from those. And that's comparable in a sense to the wisdom to create those um, safe spaces for ourselves in in codependence. It's not that you're separating someone or looking at someone as lesser. It's a matter of respecting oneself, and I'm paraphrasing Flint, as a Buddha and taking self-care first, because without that, we can't even see the world as an extension of ourselves. So it's both. It's mm-hmm. not. It's it's not. It's not either or.
1: Yeah, I and think. It's, oh, go ahead. go ahead.
0: I was just. I will end it with this. What came up for me in my own reflections is that, for me, non-dualism, oneness of all things, this energetic field, is easy to grasp and hold, what's hard to do is when I bump up against another human being and my constructs and my judgments come up and then I realized, oh my goodness, all they're doing is mirroring how I judge me, how I hold me, how I criticize me. Because if that is the patina I put on them, it's the same patina I put on me. So that was very um, insight, um, a big insight for me to to remember again that how I treat others ultimately is how I treat myself. So I need to start being kinder and compassionate and more gentle with myself so I can do that with other Buddhists
1: out there. So thank you. And that's great now, though. Yeah, it's interesting because I. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, we're talking about emptiness and emptying yourself and the whole idea of giving. I, I think it doesn't mean, my interpretation of it, doesn't mean loss of self completely into the universe. It's obviously what it mean, holding on your identity in a very much lighter way, um, perhaps, as far as to be able to be more fluid and integrated with things. Um, one, one note I wrote, I, I was really thinking a lot about the, um, the mind and the eye component that he's talking about there. And, you know, this is a pretty interesting piece of sort of neuroscience that's kind of new that I think speaks to this, which is, you know, neuroscience has just made a, a recent discovery that talks about how, um, how we actually process information. And we think we, uh, most of the time, we're, you know, we're seeing things light through our eyes that go to our brains. But actually the inverse is true, that our brains are actually um, um, extending out outward um, to process information. Um, and so it's not light coming in, we're actually um, you know, processing information, the brain looking out to, to the light. And only when there's a discrepancy with what we expect, the brain expects to see, does it, does it make a modification which I think it's really interesting. So, you know, we think we're reacting to things out there, which we are when there's a discrepancy and so forth, but in actuality, it's, you know, from a spiritual internal mirror or cosmic mirror, we're reflecting outward more often than things are reflecting inward towards us. So I think it speaks to what, you know, is being, being said here with the mind and the eye dynamic, so. Mm-hmm.
3: Kind of like Superman with his ability to you know <laughs> heat things up or whatever, so it comes out. That's really a beautiful thought. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. So it, but it does speak to that. It's all internal in us. Everything, how we react to things, how we how we how we deal with that, it does all emanate from all we have are perspectives, right? There, there's there isn't an entity looking out over it saying, "Here's the perspective." It's our perspective on everything. right so yeah how can not all be unified
3: an x-ray vision is like that yeah that's true
1: christian
0: i have a question for you this is something i do not daily but often i'll sit and i'll look out at whatever's in front of me yeah and and think I am the universe looking at myself. Oh my gosh, I'm beautiful. It's beautiful. It's just stunning because I'm made up of all the same stuff I'm just configured differently.
4: Yeah.
0: So when I look at all the ways that that this Buddha energy is configured, it's just stunning. The amazing different ways Including, we call ourselves human beings, and so we're similar, including how we are all so very different. I think that is just freaking amazing.
1: Yeah, it's what's sometimes known as the everyday sublime. It's like, yeah, it's sure you look at it, and everything's so ordinary, but there's such beauty and amazement in that. And you know, you can say, oh, well, life is suffering, but the flip side of that is life is absolutely
6: beautiful
4: and amazing and unique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Milena,
8: did you wanna say something? Oh, Milena, I'm sorry, I didn't see your hand. Yes, please. Uh, Don't worry. Um, I just wanted to say that probably uh, in relation to what Emily asked, I was... um, my, my reflection was in terms of um, what the author says, in terms of what is Buddhism. And I wrote um, in this reflection that the practice of Buddhism, as I understood it tonight, is a practice of opening yourself to the universe to find bridges, bridges to connect. So, for me tonight, is um, this oneness is to find the relationships, the bridges to connect. And as you may do that, you establish also some boundaries. So you have connection and you have some boundaries. That was what I wanted to add. Thank you.
4: Thank you, Molly.
0: And Milen, even though I can't see you, your voice is so energetic. It carries so much beautiful energy that I feel like you're right here with me in this room. So thank you for sharing.
4: Oh, thank you, Nella.
3: I can read mine. Uh, The surprising thing about a mirror is not that we see ourselves, but that we are now plopped into a world with no preferences for me. Now imagine Dogen's transparent mirror. What then? What do we see? Better yet, what don't we see? And then I did a drawing. But I didn't get as far in the drawing as I usually do.
4: Well, you only had... Ten minutes,
3: right? Well, no, I've been doing these ten-minute ones. Oh, okay. I think I got chipped out of a minute. <laughs> here, here's the drawing. Oh, yeah. I did a lot of work with. We all did in photography with multiple exposures and multiple printing, and it's and we kept, you know, even doing things of exposing the film over and over, with a view camera, you can do this like doing as many exposures as you want and, uh, you know, hundreds of exposures and just, uh, so it reminded me a lot of that, that, that pretty soon we're all kind of barely visible, we're so transparent.
1: Yeah, you know, just to, to riff on that a little, Kim, you know, I, I do a lot, um, I'm a media artist and uh, I do a lot of work with sort of extra-dimensional kind of um, graphics and things like that. I mean it made me think of that from a mirror standpoint how the mirror you know trying to get it trying to understand how this mirror could exist and I think that speaks to just sort of this interdependentness of all things. I think that's
3: I'm gonna to try to find a very famous multiple exposure. Yeah I'd love to see it. By Emma Jean Cunningham. Uh, She did a a wonderful photographer. Um, She did a book when she was 90 of people over 90. But uh, her self-portrait is one of the most famous self-portraits in photography. Let's see if I can find it.
0: What is her name again, Kim?
3: Emogen Cunningham. Cunningham. Oh, here it is. Just a second. Oh, here's a better view of it. Oh, good, good, okay. I don't wanna take the time now, but but I had a, a nice interaction with her one day. Oh. It was really fun. She only liked young people, even though she did that book of people over 90, you know, like I was probably 18 or something, but do you see her picture? That's her in the window.
4: Yeah. Yeah, very pretty.
3: And there's a picture she took herself, she's holding the camera in her hand. She also did male nudes, which was interesting, like, you know, maybe in the teens. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if this is one, but uh, and had to hide the that what isn't male nudes. Beautiful, but she had to. That's her. That's her. When I knew her, such a great lady. And um, and I don't see any of the male nudes, but she got in so much trouble with them, she had to like put them aside for thirty years. Huh. Look, there's still, there's still a sign. Isn't side. that
8: Frida Kahlo?
3: There's probably a Frida Kahlo. Where? where.
4: Several. At the bottom.
3: Do you think uh, the bottom, the bottom? Still more? That's Georgia O'Keeffe.
4: Here. Uh,
3: yes. There we go.
4: There she is, Yeah.
3: Yes.
0: So it looks. So like, I don't know
3: that that's her photograph. I don't know that what we're. I don't know that, that she did that photo. Okay, I'll stop. But go on, Nelda.
4: Well, I was going
0: to say our time is up for tonight. I wish we had more. This was lovely, and Emily. If something comes up for you where you where you like land, I'd love to hear what your answer is to your, your question. It would it would enlighten me. Mm. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. See you next week. Take care. Be safe.
1: Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Have a great night.
0: Good night. Good night.